Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. Finding new ways to make change. Reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. It's the Anthony Weiner Show on WABC. Good afternoon and welcome to the Anthony Weiner Show, heard every Saturday from 2 to 3 on 77 WEC Radio, the most listened to talk news radio station in the United States of America. This is apparently the first Anthony Weiner Show. Many of you know that I have been coming on for the first hour before left versus right when Curtis comes in at 3 o'clock. Um, and we've been trying this out for a couple of months and we've had a great response from you, the audience, and it's been an opportunity for me to learn a great deal. And so we're going to keep doing it. So from uh, 2 to 3 every Saturday, I'm going to be coming on, doing a little bit of perspective, and then my friend Curtis is going to join at 3 o'clock right before left uh, versus right. And I want to express my gratitude to all of you, the listeners, who have been supportive, who have participated in the show. If you'd like to participate today, 800-848-WABC. You can always hear the show on wabcradio.com. You can stream it live there, or you can listen to it in podcast form wherever you get your podcasts. And I want to express a great deal of gratitude. Um, You know, I'm not a radio guy naturally. I think a lot of people sometimes believe that politicians, well, they're good at talking. It's true. But in my political life, having served in the New York City Council and in Congress, where I developed a relationship with a lot of people in the New York City metropolitan area, I ran for mayor a couple of times. You know, when you talk in those circumstances, you're very often – talking about the issue of the moment very often in 30-second or one-minute sound bites. Here on 77 WABC Talk Radio, we let things air out a little bit more, and that's particularly going to be the interest in my show um, that we're going to do every hour, um, every Saturday from uh, 2 to 3 in the first hour. Uh, I want to say thanks, um, thanks for first of all, to, to Curtis Lewa. He he helped kind of teach me some of these things. As, uh, as my partner on Left versus Right, they call... This is WABC, and the ABC, we joke around here, stands for Always Broadcasting. Curtis, he has been such a fixture on this station and has been so supportive and helpful to me, kind of learning the ropes. Uh, Rich, Diego, and Kevin on the other side of the glass have helped me not make radio mistakes and helped me understand how the process works. And uh, a couple of times every show they pick me up when I drop something. And uh, Curtis, um, as I mentioned, Chad Lopez, the general manager here who – has been instrumental in making this um, the WABC radio that it is today, but no one more than John Katsimatidis, who, you know, I had some experience on ABC radio back in the day. I want to say around 2015, 16, I had done some guest hosting. I had uh, even thought about coming into radio as a job then. And the place was just, it couldn't have been uh, in more state of disrepair. There wasn't much investment going on in terrestrial radio at the time. And John Katsimatidis, who I had known for years, I had known him, we were both alumnus of Brooklyn Technical High School, I had known him as a fixture in New York City for his investment in community supermarkets, Um, I had known him for being uh, on the campaign trail at the same time I was, he ran for mayor in 2013 for the Republican nomination at the same time that I did on the Democratic side, and he is someone that when he gets up in the morning, his first thought is like, how can I kind of be of service, how can I help out my city and my country 
And when he goes down to bed at night, late at night, um, that's the last thought he has. And so when he talked to me about coming on and doing some radio, and I said to him, you know, it's, ABC is a little bit of a conservative band. He said, you know what, that is true, but all viewpoints are welcome. Common sense is the abiding philosophy, and that's something that I really respect. And also, he is someone who's invested in the notion that communities need to find ways to pull together. And terrestrial radio is still a way that that happens, and so I want to express my enduring gratitude to him and also to Jordan and whom at home for helping me um, find the time to do it and also come up with the good ideas for this. But as I, I began with thanking you, the audience, um, the show has grown in, in popularity and success, not because of me, probably in spite of me. And it's because I think people really do want to have a place that the conversation is more about, more than just about the news of the moment and the bumper sticker pol- political position of even the second. Um, we live in a world of like kind of instant analysis. We instantly go to our corners and I believe that sometimes we need to step back and take a little bit of perspective on the, the issues of the day. And that's why I really enjoy the idea that I come on on the weekends and I have a chance to let issues breathe a little bit. I get a chance to listen to what other hosts on uh, WABC are talking about here, what's going on in the firmament of the political debate, and think to myself, well, what are the questions that I might have that go below the surface of those hot takes, so to speak? And that's what this show has been devoted to. For those of you who have listened for the last couple of months as we've tried out this version of the Anthony Weiner Show, the Anthony Weiner Hour, we still are open to ideas. We did a lot of focus grouping and testing, and we came up with the Anthony Weiner Show, and I think we maybe can do better than I, I thought about Anthony, you know, Weiner in the middle or something like that. You know, opportunities to find perspective. And it gets down to a, a philosophy that I've expressed on this show before. And that is there is an enormous amount of attention and oxygen that goes to the far extremes of both parties, both the far left and the far right. But I believe that they represent a relatively small slice of the American population and the American electorate. I think the hard right and the hard left have made it difficult. And I say that there's about 10 percent in each side have made it difficult for the other 80 percent to really have a conversation to really be able to get this country going in the right direction. And I don't think that that 80% is all the same thing. I mean, I think among the 80%, the way I describe it is 50% of that 80% are people that have very strong partisan views. They don't consider themselves middle of the road by any stretch of the imagination. But whether it be conservative, Republican, Democrat, or liberal, they consider themselves open to ideas. They want to hear the conversation. They want to understand the back and forth. They want to hear the rebuttal. And then there's a the 30%, and these people I want to see if I can get involved in this show as well. And those are the people who just don't believe that this is all on the level. They don't believe media is on the level. They don't believe the big institutions of our lives, whether it be the financial institutions, whether it be the educational institutions. They just don't believe that they're on the level and have kind of checked out as a result. And a lot of young people are in that category. And so hopefully those people, too, participate in the conversation that we're going to have here each and every week. And um, this was the kind of week that really cried out for it. Uh, there, you know, we're seeing even as we sit down today to on this kind of slightly cloudy day here in New York City, um, as we are still hearing news about Uvalde, the, the, the horrible shooting that took place there, we still know that there's much that we don't know. And there's a lot that we could, a lot of perspective that we could use. And I want to go into that in a moment. But before I do, 
I want to acknowledge also that this is Memorial Day weekend. Um, this is a weekend that is the nominal beginning of summer. This is a, a weekend that we have the sales and we have the parades and we have the opening day baseball games, the Little Leagues, and we have these commemorations. I don't think we should let too long go by on a station like this where we don't acknowledge that Memorial Day, which hasn't been around that long, I think it's only been around since the early 70s, is a day where we think the about the existential challenges that our country have has been in in the past and that it ultimately took people fighting and dying for our country to give us the opportunity to be here in the relative luxury that we are in a sound democracy where there's challenges to face to be sure, but we don't need to. My son Jordan, God willing, won't need to suit up and go into battle to defend um, his right to speech and to and to exercise his, his religion or to or to be able to live in peace. And over the course of time, uh, there have been a lot of families that have lost people in time of war, and I, I think we should acknowledge them. It, um, for those of you who are interested in such things, I have in front of me 620,000 people were lost in the American Civil War, 405,000 people uh, in World War II. Um, during the War on Terror more recently, about 7,000 people, 4,400 of them in the war in Iraq, um, and lots in between. Uh, and um, I would encourage you it's to commemorate in the way that you see fit. Uh, what I think is helpful to do is to sometimes to find someone who has served and ask them to tell tell you a story about a comrade that they had lost and the conditions that the, the circumstances that that happened. Because um, sometimes veterans don't like to talk about their own experiences, but they are interested in telling you about the heroics of those that they served uh, alongside. And so on this Memorial Day, um, I continue to say to all of you, let's try to commemorate and let's remember that, as we say, God bless America, let's remember why we have a country here in the first place, um, that we uh, wish God's blessings upon us. So the, obviously, you know, some some weeks there, I, I sit down and I try to think, well, what is the issue that animating a good discussion this week? What is the thing that needs more perspective? It's hard to think of any subject that um, still uh, needs a great deal of exploration than the, the horrible tragedy where 19 children and two teachers uh, were slaughtered in Valde, Texas. Um, if you're one of the people that even knew where Valde, Texas was before this week, um, I'd be surprised. It's a small town on the, on the border of Texas that now all of us know on the map. And I've been thinking about a lot of what's been said this week, and I don't want to try to rehash things that have been said over and over again. I welcome you to participate in this conversation, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. You can email me at wienerwabc at gmail. Um, that's a, a new email address, wienerwabc at gmail. I'm on Twitter, but I don't really look at it, at Rep Wiener, if you're interested there. But, you know, one of the things that I've heard spoken about this week is this notion that some people have been offended and have spoken loudly on on the airwaves about the notion of politicizing this tragedy. And I've given that a fair amount of thought because I hear it from time to time and, and I don't really know I don't really know what people mean when they say that. I think usually what it means is that it's it's usually shorthand for I don't want to have an uncomfortable conversation. But in fact everything that we do, particularly here on WABC is to, in a way, politicize sometimes tragic things that have happened. And I say that in the best sense of the word. You know, we live in a republic form of a democracy. We live in a, in a 
democracy that we elect our leaders and then tell them, go out, make decisions for us. And an important part of that is the accountability. And the accountability doesn't just come every two years where you cast a vote for a representative or every six years when you vote for your senator or every four years for your mayor. No, the accountability comes with every day we expect those elected officials to respond to the issues that affect our lives, to affect the lives of the world in a responsible way. And when they don't, they're open to criticism. And when they do, they should be rewarded. That's what politicization means to me. And when we have horrors, we have tragedies like we had this week, what we should be doing as a democracy is immediately holding up to the lens of whether our political structures are doing the right thing or doing enough. Now, sure, there are opportunities, and I have said on previous episodes that sometimes we as Americans sometimes look for blame when sometimes things just happen. I talked about that during the baby formula shortage episode where, you know, I said there are just sometimes things about the economy that just that happen in a capitalist economy. But when it comes to this challenge, it is not a question of whether or not it's not a question that just these are acts of God that are happening that no one could possibly foresee. These are reasonable conversations to have. If we think our political figures are doing enough to protect our children, to protect our streets, then we say that. And if we think they are not, we say that. That's not politicizing tragedy. That's what it means to function in a democracy. That's what it means to function in a place where we want elected officials to be accountable to us. And so when I hear politicians in particular say, this is no time to politicize a tragedy, I hear them saying, I don't want to talk about it, when of course we should be talking about it. And even if you are one of the five or six people left on God's earth who thinks there's nothing that we should do, that thinks that we should just throw our hands up and say, it's okay that so many of our children go to school in circumstances where they have to train for the possibility that someone is going to walk in with a gun and shoot their classmate. Um, Unless you're one of the people that thinks that it's okay that someone can walk into a supermarket in Buffalo um, and shoot 10 people, including an armed guard who who had served his community in uniform. Um, Of course that's going to be discussed, and that's what it should be. Now, another line of conversation I've heard expressed and is this notion, well, why hasn't anything been done with all of these all of these news stories, all of the this these fatalities, all of these murders, all of these shootings, and you've all heard the statistics. Well a lot has been done. Between nineteen ninety and nineteen fourteen uh, and two thousand fourteen, over a twenty five year period, which is a, a study that I saw, twenty thousand bills had been introduced in state legislatures. And 3,200 new laws had been enacted. That's what's going on in the states, including here in New York, including within the sound of my voice. Just about every state has had dozens and dozens, if not hundreds, of pieces of legislation passed in a response to these mass slaughters, to these murders, to these shootings. Generally what happens is if you are in a red state, the Republicans generally, about 28 states, have gone somewhere in the direction of, well, let's give the good guys more guns, is the shorthand for arming teachers, making it more easier for people to get guns so they can defend themselves. And that in the Democratic states, in the bluer states, it's more towards background checks and red flag laws. And when you do all all of the math, the 28 states have made it easier for people to get 
guns and made it easier for teachers to get guns. It's interesting to point out that after uh, um, the shooting in El Paso in 2018, the governor of Texas helped pass legislation to arm teachers. Well, that was 2018. You know that not much has come of that. And the 21 states uh, that uh, that are the blue states have done things about increasing background checks. And so it's not like nothing has been done, but the place where nothing has been done has been Washington, D.C. Nothing has been done federally to speak of since the um, the ban on assault uh, weapons ban was done under President Clinton. That turned out to be very successful in reducing the numbers of these shootings, but as a condition of getting that passed, he had to agree for it to a sunset, which came and went, and now that ban is over. And so when we get back from the break, I'm going to talk a little bit about why the biggest thing that 90% of the American people agree upon, why it hasn't happened. And very often people say, hey, how does a bill become a law? My son Jordan's learning about that in school. I'm going to talk a little bit about why sometimes bills don't become laws. When we come back on the Anthony Weiner Hour, thank you so much for joining us. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about this. And then at 3 o'clock... Curtis Lee comes in for Left versus Rights. Thank you so much for being with us. See you on the other side. Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the Anthony Weiner Show on WABC. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. It's the Anthony Weiner Show. And welcome back to the Anthony Weiner Show. I'm Anthony Weiner. We're talking about the tragedy in Uvalde, Texas. We're talking about the tragedies that seem to pile up one after another every year. They're happening more and more frequently. There's a lot to this issue, and I have been focusing on some of the things that have been talked about this week. I'd like you to join the conversation. The show does not function without you, without your viewpoint, without your input. 800-848-WABC. 800-848-9222. A little later at the top of the hour at 3 o'clock, left versus right, where Curtis Lewa comes in. We're going to talk about this issue and a few others, including um poll that came out this week that if you're Bill de Blasio, you are not exactly getting your Congressman de Blasio cards printed, and we'll talk about that a little bit. So I talked a little bit earlier before the break about the idea that a great deal has been done on the state level. It's kind of broken down in kind of the predictable political way. Um, I'll be honest with you, it has been more successful stopping these types of these types of mass murders, these types of schoolhouse shootings, more successful in blue states where they have gun uh, registration laws uh, and background checks and red flag laws than in the instances where uh, Republicans have passed good guy with guns laws. But there is one thing that, frankly, is in the category that is very rare in American political life today and that there is broad, broad consensus around the idea of closing the loopholes in the background checks that we do presently if you want to buy a gun. And just so you understand, if you go into a gun shop, a licensed gun shop, there is a background check. You fill out ATF Form 4473, I think it is, and the background check is done and you get your gun or it's denied. But there are gigantic loopholes in that law, and the biggest one is that online sales 
like the perpetrator of the massacre in Texas this week, if you get it online and you're not purchasing it from a licensed gun dealer and there are about, at any time, about 1.2 million ads available online for people selling and buying guns, or if you get a gun at a gun show, uh, you don't have any background check at all. And so there's a common sense piece of legislation that would fix that, would find a solution to that by basically saying that if you want to buy a gun from someone, you have to do it at a gun shop, meaning you can still have a private exchange of a gun, um, but it has to be at a gun shop. So then there the gun shop operator can do the background check for you and then basically it closes that gap. Right now about 22%, they estimate, of all gun sales that happen, happen with no background check whatsoever. And if that seems like, oh, that's way, how would I find a, a licensed gun dealer? Well, there are four times more licensed gun dealers in this country than there are McDonald's. So they're not hard to find. And I think something like 96% of all Americans live within 10 miles of a gun, of a gun shop. But what's in, interesting about this issue is that that idea of tightening up gun show restrictions, uh, for, uh, forgive me, background check restrictions, is widely supported. Um, 93% of Americans by the last poll support it, including 89% of Republicans, and even 89, the same percentage of gun show owners. And when you have a conversation about this issue, what some people say, yeah, well, obviously, if someone has mental challenges, if someone's too young, if someone seems like they just don't, it doesn't add up that they should be having, we should stop them. That would probably be the best way to stop someone who's dealing with mental issues, someone who's dealing with these suicidal or homicidal thoughts from getting a gun. And by the way, um, it's not just Democratic politicians saying this. I think we have a cut of Donald Trump when he first encountered this as president. And every president winds up encountering this recently because that's how many of these shootings there are. Listen to these are a few things that Donald Trump had to say. Go ahead. Cut one. You can't touch the Second Amendment. And we have so many checks and balances right now. And the federal government does a horrible job. They don't use them properly. We're going to be very strong on background checks. We certainly have to strengthen background checks. Everybody agrees with that. We will act. We will do something. We have to keep the guns out of the hands of those that pose the threat. And this really includes background checks. Background checks, making them tougher. Uh, it's never that easy, but it's moving along, and a lot of great things are being done. We're making it much tougher. I'm looking to do background checks. I think background checks are important. We need intelligent background checks, okay? This isn't a question of NRA, Republican, or Democrat. There's been no president that feels more strongly about the Second Amendment than I do. However, we need meaningful background checks so that sick people... Don't get guns. I think in the end, Wayne and the NRA will either be there or maybe we'll be a little bit more neutral. So, you know, one of the and I'm no big fan, of many of you know, of 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 Donald Trump. But one of the things about him becoming president is that a lot of these issues that have become very entrenched and we're running against kind of the counter popular view because of the way that Donald Trump got elected and frankly, the fact that he didn't have to take 50 years worth of positions on issues, he was able to kind of speak kind of like a regular American when it came to some of these things. I found that, for example, when he supported moving of the embassy in Israel um, to Jerusalem, he's like, yeah, of course, that makes sense. That's their capital. Let's go ahead and do it. And he did it. It was one of the things about 
him that I think that a lot of people in a bipartisan way found refreshing. Obviously, Democrats had other reasons not to like him. But what's relevant here is that he was reflecting what 90 percent of Americans and most Republicans believe, that background checks are a way to help this problem. But what he mentioned there at the end when he uh, was talking about the NRA is ultimately the challenge. And that is very often I explain, and I've explained this on issues for the last several months, that there are Democrats tugging in one direction that are partially to blame sometimes for inaction, like on immigration, and the Republicans tugging from the fringe that that make inaction hard because they both threaten to primary their own party if they don't get purity. This is not such a case. This is entirely from one side of one party, and that is the inordinate sway that the National Rifle Association has. And so some people have asked me, well, what do they give a lot of money? Not really. They're not a, the money is not the thing. But they have so many members in so many states that if they put out an APB and say, listen, we're not supporting Republican number one because he agreed to a background check that doesn't affect any of you, the members, um, they could lose a primary that way. And, um, and every Republican winds up kind of, and I mean this, almost everyone, not everyone, every Republican winds up kind of stepping back when the NRA steps in, even if you listen to this cut, even Donald Trump. People don't realize we have very strong background checks right now. You go in to buy a gun, you have to sign up. There are a lot of background checks that have been approved over the years. Uh, so I'll have to see what it is. But Congress is meeting bipartisan. A lot of people want to see something happen. But just remember this big mental problem. And we do have a lot of background checks right now. Right. So that's basically the position of the NRA. There's lots of background checks. There are lots of states like New York that have them. Uh, But it doesn't help all that much if you can get a gun online without a background check. This is a this is the thing that we need the federal government for. This is a solution um, that is crying out. And you don't often see Republicans bucking this NRA view. And ultimately what it's going to come down to is not one, but two or three or four members of the United States Senate of the Republican from the Republican side of the aisle stepping out together and saying none of us is going to be accused of being the Republican vote, but the three and four of us, we're going out and we're going to say we support tougher background checks so that we make sure that the people who get the guns are the ones that should and they're the ones that shouldn't get it. We have a real problem. There's lots of other solutions. Listen, I believe in trying different things. And I want to hear what you have to say, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. Before I go to the calls, I want to also explain that nothing about – there are a lot of other ideas out there. I mean, we now kind of have a pretty good handle on what the profile is of these shooters. They're usually young men. They're usually suicidal and often homicidal. They usually have, you know, social media postings that have some element of toxic masculinity or romantic failure. You know, they're high school kids often dealing with the with all that goes into that. I've heard people suggest as having an age requirement to buy guns. I think that makes some sense. And there are also a lot of people have this element of fame involved, like they want to be famous. They want to be known for this. This is the way of getting notoriety on their way out the door. And I'm not saying that there are not other other possible solutions to this problem. But if we are unwilling as law-abiding Americans 
to say, listen, there, we should at least make it as hard to get a gun as it is to buy a car, at least make it as hard to buy a gun as it is to uh, adopt a dog. Um, we should be able to come up with some common sense things that don't infringe on anyone's rights. Um, there are background checks that a lot of people go through every day. Those are gun owners. And uh, I think we just need to make them tougher, and I think we need to make them national. And we can't rely upon each state because, as we learned in, in, in Connecticut, where they have strong anti-gun laws and strong background checks, that if you can get a gun online or if you can cross over state lines with them, um, then it doesn't do much good. So let's go to the phones. I want to hear what, what you have to say. This is the Anthony Weiner Show. We're here from 2 to 3 every Saturday at 3 o'clock. Curtis is coming in. We're talking about... Not just Uvalde, but we're talking about the state of the country on this Memorial Day weekend. And um, let's go to some of the calls. Some calls have been holding on for a while. Let's go to Marty in New Jersey. Marty, thanks for joining us today. Hey, sir, thank you for taking my call. I, I enjoy your uh, – we may differ on a lot of political things, but I, I enjoy your honesty. Thank you, sir. A um, couple issues, just my background. Very pro-Second Amendment, law enforcement, 33 years. I've been teaching re- reaction to active shooter ever since Columbine to not only police departments, but uh, places of worship and schools. So this, I'm very aware of this. I just want to address a couple of things you said. I'll try to be quick. Number one, I believe you're aware that every sale of a firearm in the United States from a dealer must go through a NICS background check. You're aware of that, correct? Right, from a dealer. Every, every sale. From, now, a, from, from, a, from a licensed dealer, right. Correct. What, what people like to call the loophole at gun shows is private sales. I sell to you at a gun show in some state. That's absolutely fine. You want to that's up to the shows to get pressure put on them through laws or regulations that there'll be no private sales at a gun show unless those two people walk over to a table that has a licensed dealer and they go to the next check. I support that. I have no problem with that. That's number one. Number two, you cannot order a firearm through the mail and get it sent to your home. It must go through an FFL holder which is the guy who initiates the next check. You just cannot go online and say, I want to buy that gun. They're not going to sell it to you. They can't. It's illegal. I'm not sure if you knew that or not. I'm just bringing that up to you. I'm not trying to. But that's that. But, but no, but there are one po- right now. If you go on, I don't have the, the website. I don't uh, usually go to it. I can look for it. If you were right now, there's about 1.2 million person to person sales that go on all the time. They don't need to go. They can be done through online. They can be done through the mail. What the what the law that's the proposal that's currently before Congress would say that if you have that kind of transaction, you have to do it in person in front of a licensed gun dealer so they can put you through the through the background check. Do you support that? One hundred percent where I would see an exception to that. And I think we can talk about this is if I want to sell a gun to my son or my wife. I don't know if that's necessary, but we could talk about that. Fair enough. Fair enough. Marty, while I have you, you're a 33 year police officer. Let me ask you about. This perspective that some people have expressed that just put more guns around, put more guns in the classroom, put more armed guards at police officers. You know, you, you're probably familiar with this data, but um, between 2000 and 2019, the FBI says that 345 active shooters of those 119 committed suicide before they were taken into they were, before they were apprehended. Sixty seven were killed by the police. One hundred nineteen were apprehended. Only four cases did citizens kill the shooter. What is your perspective on this idea of, like, more good guys with a gun is the way you stop one bad guy with a gun? All right. We both have a love of Israel. 1987, Israel implemented armed 
security slash teachers at every school. They've never had a terrorist attack in school since. So this is my view on that, and I'm going to put the question to you. you got a child in the school. It goes to lockdown. Your teacher of your child barricades that door. Would you not feel more comfortable knowing that teacher, their choice, not mandated, their choice, is carrying a firearm and is trained so that if that shooter enters that classroom, they can end it. They can end it right there. I'm not advocating teachers going in the hallways looking for the shooters. That's what the security's trained for. That's what I train to do. But that teacher is your last line, again, totally voluntary, of defense if that person comes in the classroom. No, I imagine this. Yeah, no, I think I, I, under, I understand that, that scenario. But practically speaking, I mean, when a gunman opened fire in Dayton, Ohio, in August of 2019, the police neutralized him in 30 seconds. I mean, it was amazing. He still killed nine and wounded 27. I mean, I just don't think it's an answer to anything. Well, listen, nothing – two big things I think you and I can both agree on. We can't legislate morality, and we can't have like the old movie with Tom Cruise, The Minority Report. We don't know when people are going to do something. So we have to take the other side. We have to become harder targets. This is a horrible thing to have to say. I've got two grandchildren in my school, and I look at them, and I want that to be a hard target. I want signs out there saying, welcome to a blank, blank school. These premises patrolled by armed security. That will eliminate almost anybody who wants to cause a problem. Yes, you're going to get the wacko like this last lunatic. You're even going to get the guy in New York City uh, who shot the people in the subway. You, How do you pick them out other than the guy in Buffalo and the guy in the subway both gave active signs of being, we'll call it, slightly different than the normal person. They were, their weapons were never taken away. Well, I appreciate it. Marty, that's, that's a great call. Thank you so much for your service, and please call us back again. And I think what Marty is explaining there is kind of what many of us believe, in that if you consider this to be like a funnel, at the top of the funnel is people that are dealing with mental illness, people that are posting crazy things on the Internet, people that are generally showing signs of being near the breaking point. Catching those people when there are so many of those that are out there that are dealing with these challenges, that's one approach. The other approach is to go the narrow end of the funnel is make sure that they can't get in their hands a particular thing, which is a gun. And I just got to say this, you know, I don't know how anyone thinks that a teacher is going to outgun a a crazy, crazy guy wearing body armor and AR-15. I just don't think that's possible. But it's a great way to get us started. When we come back from the break, we've got a bunch more calls. At the top of the hour, Curtis Lewa comes in, and we talk about some of his observations about this, and uh, he knows a lot about fighting crime. This is the Anthony Weiner Show. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you on the other side. Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Finding new ways to make change. Reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. It's the Anthony Weiner Show on WABC. Welcome back to the Anthony Weiner Show. This is Anthony Weiner every Saturday live here at WABC from 2 to 3. Right before Left versus Right with Curtis Lewa. He'll be joining us soon. This is our first official Anthony Weiner show, and I am really honored to have you along with us here. 
keeping in the minds of all of us. This is Memorial Day weekend. Pay tribute in whatever way you see fit to those that have made the sacrifice. And we're talking about the horrors of school shootings, the one that happened this week. And just, I mean, my cards are on the table. I am the father of a 10-and-a-half-year-old who I, I love more than life itself. And, you know, I think we have to start to learn to look at all of these things. And I think we do. All, all children are our children. I mean, these 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 children who were killed this week, they didn't have they were too young to have political perspectives. They didn't vote for anyone wrong. They didn't do anything wrong. They are just victims, and we have to figure out a way to come together to make sure that there aren't more. We have plenty of calls on the line here, and I want to get to some of them if we can. Um, let's go to Reed in upstate New York. Reed, thank you for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, love hearing you and Curtis go back and forth and uh, um, and uh, keep the debate moving forward. I just uh, I don't want to beat a dead horse. But I did just want to um, correct you on the online gun sales. Um, the last caller started getting there. Uh, there are some websites where private-to-private sellers can go on, and it's very much like an eBay for guns. And you can purchase a firearm from another, uh, another person. When you do that, it is law that that person has to send that firearm to a federally licensed dealer. And you have to go to that federally licensed dealer where you live and undergo that background check. Um, the only other way that can be done is if you and I are on a, a chat room and I decide to sell you something, um, then we do a sale like that. That's illegal. So I just wanted to correct you on that. That's all. And I thank you for your time. Well, I appreciate it. Reed. Thank you for calling. Call, call us back again. Uh, next, uh, Janet in Manhattan. Hi, Janet. How are you? Oh, hi, Congressman Weiner. Thank you. I'm fine. Uh, yeah, you made part of the point I was going to make about the fact that these shooters are suicidal as well as homicidal. Um, you know, somebody on this station the other night said, we need to bring back the death penalty and harsher penalties. No, no, that won't do anything about this. Uh, these people know they are going to be killed or they're going to be arrested and spend the rest of their lives in jail, or if they're in a death penalty state, they will be killed. So this is, like, I guess, a very um, high-level suicide by cop kind of thing and, and take a lot of people with you. But I heard a very interesting interview and something called the New Yorker radio show. People can go to the web and listen to it. Two people interviewed, and I'm sorry I can't remember their names, were doing a very deep analysis of the psychology of these people, these mass shooters. And they made the point that, yes, we have more guns per person in America than they have in other places, but they felt there were other reasons why we have these problems that other people don't have. And the man of the pair, of the couple who wrote the book, said there was something he, he refers to the depths of despair. And he thinks there's more despair in America leading to suicidal tendencies and homicidal tendencies. And one of the things he pointed to as causing that is a lack of a social safety net. And that is quite a scandal in America that we do not have the kind of social safety net they have in other countries. I mean, you just look at Europe. We don't have the most basic thing. I think the most important thing we don't have, and that ties in with this, is, is national health insurance. If you feel the need to talk to a psychiatrist, a 
psychologist, you feel angry, you feel whatever, you know you need help, you can't get it unless you have a lot of money. It is very expensive. Um, there's the, and what came to, to light in the most recent, the other recent uh, problem we've had as a country, the lack of infant formula, highlights the fact that we also are the only country, the only, practically the only country in the world, not just the only wealthy country, the only country in the world that doesn't have a paid maternity leave. Um, it isn't practical to feed your own baby with your own milk, which is the best way to do it and the cheapest and easiest way to do it. Um, you can't do it if you don't have paid maternity leave. Yeah, well, I, I think you're right. And we touched on we touched on that, that issue in particular a couple of weeks ago. And I encourage anyone who wants to go back and look at it in podcast form that they can on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Janet, you're, you're right in that another broad area of agreement, at least in the rhetoric in the last week or so, has been this idea that the mental health challenges facing young men in this country are profound. And, yes, there's a lot of research that shows that most of these shooters are kind of young um, outcasts who, who express on social media their desire to kill or to be or to be killed. And I agree that the death penalty is a, a weird anomaly or a weird suggestion in the terms of how to deal with these problems. But I, And I also want to point out that since in the last two years – the lockdown and COVID and everything else has had an impact on this. You know, we had between 2013 and 2019, 345 of these kind of mass shooter things. And in the last two years, there have been 103. Um, and again, just to, 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 to stress this, it's fine to say, well, I don't want to do background checks. I think we should do other things. But we're also not doing those other things. It's not like many of the op- the opponents of tougher background checks and more limits on the types of guns we can sell are actually supporting increased funding for mental health or increased funding for interventions of these sorts. It's, it's, it is, it's, there's a certain amount of hypocrisy going on, but I appreciate your weighing in, Janet, and uh, call us back again soon. Uh, David in New Jersey. David, thank you for holding on. What have you got today? Yeah, hi, Anthony. Uh, you know, you, uh, you, am I on? You are, David. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, you're talking about the tragedy of the shooting in Texas. But every day, over 275 people are killed or die from shooting up on fentanyl. A poison that, you know, that's killing all our young people. Nobody talks about that. 275 no, plus. Nobody talks dead. about, no one talks about the fentanyl crisis in our country. Is that what you're saying, David? Seriously? Uh, 275 people a day. Where are the politicians? Where's the media? Where's the horror? Where's the tragedy? David, I, I, I appreciate it, and, and, and please call us again. I mean, I don't think anyone can say that, the, that the, the, the drug crisis in this country is not getting a lot of attention. And by the way, I am, I am here all day, uh, proverbial speaking. They don't want me here all day. They don't, it's only called the Anthony Weiner Show for one hour. I am here all day to have conversations about other issues. But I don't like the way that sometimes it's, oh, I don't want to talk about that one because it's inconvenient, so let me talk about this other one over here. Today we're talking about the challenge that we have that just about every other week, and we had basically two in the last week, there are these mass shooter things going on, and we're made, it's much too easier for people who should not have guns to have guns, and overwhelming numbers of Americans believe that, like 90%, and still we do nothing about it. That's what we're talking about Today, that's not to say that fentanyl is not a problem. It's not to say that other issues are not problems. I just think that sometimes we do that. Oh, I don't want to talk about background checks because I want to talk about fentanyl. I want to talk about fentanyl, too. We'll do that on, an, on another episode. Dave and Alpine, go ahead, Dave. Thank you so much for holding on. Yes, I, uh, you're an excellent debater, I must admit. But sometimes you lose on the facts. 
in New Jersey, you need two background checks to buy a gun, number one. And, and number two, I think they're weak on the mental health check. Every place is weak because of confidentiality. If you go to a psychiatrist and have a problem, it's not reported to the government. It needs to be reported so we can find people that are not supposed to have guns because of mental health. That's that's a and it's, it's a great idea. I'm sure there are complications around around that. And and I don't know what fact I got wrong. I said there are there are 21 states in the in the country, mostly uh, blue states, that have background checks. The problem is, like a lot of thi- well, like many things, you cannot say I'm only going to close off the doors to people getting these types of guns in one state and not do it nationally. Some this is a matter of national defense. It's what it is. It is we should not have a, a background checks be strong in one place and weak in another because then we have a situation like this. But I don't think I got that fact wrong. I said that overwhelmingly of the 3,200 laws that have been passed over the last 25 years to deal with this challenge of too many people getting shot by guns, about 20, uh, 21 states, mostly blue states, almost entirely blue states, have passed background checks, red flag laws to, to find the mentally challenged, to, to people who are dealing, dealing with mental problems prevent them from getting guns. And in 28 states, more blue states, there have been laws that made it easier to get guns around the philosophy of getting a, get more hands, uh, more guns into good guys' hands to be able to fight the bad guys. I don't think I got that wrong, but I appreciate the call. Uh, Steve in Central Jersey. Steve, go ahead. Thank you for calling us. Hi, Anthony. Thanks for taking the call. Now, Anthony, look, your party's real good at this for the last 30 years. These things, These incidents happen, these shootings, and right away, rush to blame the gun. It is your party since 30 years ago. And you know who I'm talking about, 30. Who came to power 30 years ago that wants to blame the gun? And let's look at, the instead of holding accountable, the evildoer here who, thank goodness, was taken out by a, a, a guy, good guy with a gun, who was not on duty. Do you realize that? Right. I'd like you to address here. This is a two-part question. Well, why don't you? Why is your party afraid to hold these, these to look at the person who did this, hold them personally accountable, and let's look at what drove them to do it rather than blame a gun? That's that is number. One. Why don't we start there? All right. And if you can give me that Gmail address again for you, I, I would like that. Having said that, I'll hand it to you. Go ahead. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate you calling. It's Wiener WABC at Gmail. Wiener WABC at Gmail. I'd, I'd like to hear from you. Anyone else who wants to weigh in on this, I like to. Read a couple of emails the uh, the following week. I don't understand how. I mean, look, I get the question. Focus on the guy. Yeah, well, I'll focus on the guy. How is that getting us anywhere? How is that say like saying, "Oh, Dylan Roof is an evil guy"? How does that getting us? I want to solve this problem. Dylan Roof going in with a with with a hacksaw would not have caused the harm that he did. This guy would have not been able to do it. He had an AR-15 and body armor, and and you say a guy that was off duty stopped him. You haven't been paying attention to the news the last 24 hours. Increasingly, there was nine, there were, there were 19 uh, 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 uniformed officers in the building at the time the shooting was going on while a nine-year-old was, was calling 911 repeatedly for help. I mean, we've got to st- – I don't believe it's reasonable, unless we're going to have a SWAT team hovering over every school, to believe that you're just going to be able to somehow pluck these needles out of haystacks, these evil people who are – if that's the word we're going to use, these sick people who are stewing in their juices, who are feeling disconnected, who are feeling angry, homicidal, suicidal, whatever it is, 
We've been trying that strategy. How is it working? How is it working? Are we going to really, do we really believe that somehow these social media companies are going to catch every single rant of someone who says, I'm going to shoot up an elementary school? Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that some guy sitting in his basement waiting to turn 18 so he can order a gun online is, is going to, I just don't believe we're going to, that that's the solution. And we have evidence to show that it's not working. It's just not working. Let's try this. Let's try it. 90% of the American people said, let's just make it harder for people to get guns who shouldn't have them. Let's focus on that. I'm not saying we don't focus on the other things, but for goodness sakes, it's, I mean, this, this, this debate sometimes is exhausting. I'm not saying don't do the other things. I'm fine with trying everything. You want, you want the, the, the number of, of my, my, my shrink that, so you can keep track of whoever is not feeling well. That's fine. Okay. You want to try something like that? But ultimately, 90% of the American people and Donald Trump and so many other people are right. We've got to do more to keep these guns out of these people's hands. Thank you very much for joining us. On the other side, we're going to have a few more of these calls. The board is filled up, as you can imagine. People feel very passionately about these things. This is the Anthony Weiner Show at the top of the hour. Curtis Lewa on Left versus Right. Thank you so much for joining us on WABC Talk Radio. It's the Anthony Weiner Show on WABC. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. It's the Anthony Weiner Show. Welcome back to the Anthony Weiner Show, heard every Saturday from 2 to 3 here on WABC Radio. You can hear it also on WABCradio.com. Comes out as a podcast every week as well, and uh, I want to once again express my gratitude to all of you, the listeners, for giving me this opportunity to be part of your afternoon on this uh, important weekend, Memorial Day weekend. Keep all of those who have lost family members uh, in times of war, in times of crisis, in your thoughts. And we're talking about the shooting. Well, I was going to say the shooting in Uvalde, Texas. It could be any number of the shootings. And, you know, we've talked a little bit about the problems that sometimes common sense things don't happen. You know, there is a lot of information out there about what works and what doesn't, and nothing is perfect. And, I, and you know, I, you know the, the, the police officers that are out there every day that have to deal with these challenges, um, I don't know how many of you remember the name, uh, Emmatic Fitzgerald Bradford Jr. Uh, he was a guy in 2018 that was really a hero. Um, there was a, an active shooter situation at, at a shopping center, in, um, I want to see, I was in Alabama in 2018, and he shot the perpetrator and was hailed as a hero. And there's only one problem with that story. It has a sad ending. He was shot by the police who mistook him for the perpetrator. And again, you can come up with anecdotes about any number of different scenarios, but it's worth reminding that, you know, that when police officers go into these situations, even, you know, that there's, that they're very hard to manage. Um, Bill Bratton was on the, the, the Cats Roundtable last night, and he talked about the training that they do to try to be within five minutes of any school at any time uh, with a tactical team that comes in. We have 38,000 police officers. I think we have the ability to, we have the best trained, most skillful police department in the world. We train other police departments on how to do what they do. This is not easy stuff, but I know one thing, and Commissioner Bratton echoed this yesterday, having more guns on the scene don't necessarily make things better. And I think someone wants to make a similar point to that is Art Newhaven. Art, thanks for holding on. Go ahead, bud. Hey, how's it going? It's going well. Thank you. All right. 
my my brother was hurt by the cops. But let me tell you something real quick. I was sick this week. I had to go to Yale New Haven Hospital in New Haven, Connecticut. Now, the second night I was there, they they woke me up and they shuckled me and I, I was scared. So they hogtied me. This is Yale New Haven Hospital. They hogtailed me for five days and left me in my urine and my feces. What do you think of that? That doesn't sound like a great way to spend your time. I'm sorry to hear that you had that uh, that challenge. Call us back again, please. Phil in Brooklyn. Go ahead, Phil. You're on. Hello, sir. How are you? I am well, thank God. How are you, sir? All right. Uh, my my point that I'm trying to make here is I, I, am, I am for the Second Amendment. However, I do believe in common sense, um, you know, theory. So let's just take this for example. I live in New York. New York is one of the strictest gun law states, okay? Now, my friends who live in Jersey, they can get guns. Pennsylvania, they can get guns. Each state is different. I believe there should be a, u- a universal background check in every state that is the same across the board. So in other words, you shouldn't just give anybody a gun just to give it to them. They should have to go through a background check uh, through the NIC system, whether it takes three days, five days, seven days until they get there, until they're all clear and they're all checked out. You know, not that you just hand somebody a gun in, in five minutes, because within five minutes, you, you can't no way figure out that person's entire history. You need a little bit of time, even with computers. During, okay? Phil, uh, Phil, are you a supporter of the Second Amendment? I'm in support of the Second Amendment. Do you think anything, well, I'm, do you, I'm just curious, and I'm asking you a serious question here. Do you think anything that you just described, that common sense solution you just described, in any way infringes on the Second Amendment? In my opinion, no. In my opinion, no, too. My opinion, no, too. And, and, you know, Phil, you know, you represent, I think, a very important constituency in this country. I think that if people who are pro-Second Amendment, NRA supporters say loud and clear, look, we are fine. I'm fine waiting for an extra day so that we keep ment- someone who is mentally ill or mentally unstable from getting a gun. I am fine that if we have a test in Texas, uh, that is so long as it's the same as in New York. And I can tell you what I'm prepared to give here on the other side of the aisle. I, I agree. I, I would be fine if those background checks are strong enough that they should supersede and preempt other states. That the states, so long as we have one system that prevents people from getting this, all of our constitutional rights come with responsibility. They're not just rights. They're also responsibilities. That goes with speech. That goes with everything else. That's what we need here, more of a sense of responsibility. This has been a great opportunity for me, the Anthony Weiner Show, every Saturday, 2 to 3. Coming up next, me and Curtis Lewa on Left versus Right. Thank you so much. Have an amazing weekend, but stick with us. We'd love to see you for the conversation with Curtis on the other side. Left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station 77 WABC.
Well, you know damn well this ain't my kind of music, that's for sure. Joe Jackson, I'm the man. Anthony Weiner in the house, and let's just start by saying that uh, you have earned your own show here at WABC, Anthony, because of the time you've put in, uh, the way you've labored away to sort of get the rust off uh, of your talk radio ability that you had before your life uh, imploded. In fact, so much so that earlier this week, ownership and management uh, put out a promo that establishes you as singularly a part of the ever-growing family here at WABC. It's the Anthony Weiner Show on WABC. Went through the list of the allegations against Hunter Biden, and to say that I was easy on him is really not to have paid attention. Taking a step back to look at things with a new perspective. A fairly reasonable approach to big breaking news. Finding new ways to make change. Reaching across the aisle to work with both sides. But if people think that I've left something out, I want to hear it. The Anthony Weiner Show, Saturday at 2 p.m. Before the left versus the right, 77 WABC. Oh, you see, you didn't even know that was in the can. I actually did not know. Uh, you know, I had my own idea for a promo. I don't know if they have my Peter King audition that I did on the floor of Congress in 2010 back there anywhere. I, with a little bit of a different tone. But, but uh, yeah, I, 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 but listen, I have to say this has been a great experience because I've learned, I've learned from you. And I'm not just saying that because you're sitting here. I said it at the top of, of my hour um, that you are such a presence. It is hard to think of a more iconic radio voice now in New York City than than yours, and you were really helpful in kind of getting my legs under me. And John Katsimatidis, who kind of saw, you know, he keeps saying this thing, if it's good radio and if it's common sense, I want to hear it. And you've been really helpful to me, so I appreciate it. Well, you know, it's interesting because uh, before your personal life uh, was shattered and your political life was shattered, you were on with me as a substitute host I believe it was two weeks, Ron Kuby was out on vacation then. Uh, we were doing afternoons, like from 12 to 3. You were doing a great job. In fact, the suits accumulus uh, that owned us at that time before John Katsimatidis rescued uh, uh, us was saying to me, wow, this guy's good. Yeah, He's by saying- the way, uh, Kuby, what, you cut him up and buried his bones? Is that what happened with that partnership? I have to be careful. You know, I mean, you've, you've had a few partners over the years. Remember that famous scene with the passing of Ray Liotta? Uh, in Goodfellas, remember when De Niro runs outside of the diner because he wants to find out if Joe Pesci got to be a made man, and then uh, the guy on the other end said, he's dead. There's nothing you can do. He's dead. So, Anthony, there's nothing you can do. In my eyes, Kubi is dead. Uh, uh, we had a long run, a great uh, run on the Great White Way Broadway, but it uh, we went different ways. But then again, I've had probably as many radio partners as ex-wives. You know, it's almost like I, I keep uh, track, I keep pace. But, you know, our thing, you know, our left versus right, we still have the same problem. We've been talking about this for a while. Like what has emerged, and it's been over three months now that you and I have been working together, is that we generally agree on a lot more than we disagree. And then generally speaking, we are both coming a little bit towards the middle as we have our discussions. I, we're not really all that lefty versus righty. And, and I hope to have that same ethos on my show of just kind of like, you know, the, 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 this, there is no shortage of dichotomy, no shortage of conflict, no shortage of yelling and screaming. I used to do a little yelling, yelling and screaming on the House floor. I don't know how many of you remember this. Gentlemen, no, thinks that if he gets up and yells hard, if he's going to intimidate people into believing he's right, he is wrong. The gentleman is wrong. The gentleman is providing cover for his colleagues rather than doing the right thing. That was the old me. Now I'm much more 
mellow, and I'm even, I am even have a promotion at the station where it says I'm looking for the middle ground on issues, and I really do hope to do well, that. Well, you know, a little liquid Prozac has helped a lot of people. It's helped me over time. I've had severe anger management right. issues. A lot of people are very thankful that I've taken liquid Prozac. That is, uh, yeah. That, but, and, and for me, that's that's uh, about 45 days in rehab. That's a lot of therapy and right. a little time in a federal prison. So right. I have I leveled out a good deal. But think how you've come full circle. You have recently been part of the many different faces who are part of the number one Talk radio program at 5 o'clock at, uh, at night, Monday through Friday, is the Catch Matitis Roundtable. You've sat opposite the very guy you debated in that caustic way, Peter King. That's exactly right. All I mean, part of the family. Look, what what it, it, it really is true that um, I had done some radio with you, but it really was John and Chad and you who kind of said, listen, in this iteration of you, you you've got you being Anthony, have some interesting things to say and an interesting perspective. And also having, you know, my son Jordan being at home, you know, 10 and a half year old kid, these things change your perspective. Plus, I've seen a lot go on in my city. I've seen a lot go on in my city. And, and I've said this to you before. I would probably be considered a fairly moderate voice in today's Democratic Party, yes. where I was once one of the more progressive members of Congress. So um, this is a great opportunity for me. I hope we get a chance to, to, to keep doing it. And uh, and I'll continue to be leaning on you as we do left well, versus right every Saturday at 3 to 4. The interesting thing is that just like uh, our other colleague here, what is he, my uh, – um, I guess my brother-in-law, whatever. I don't know what we call Governor David Patterson. You know, uh, he met my wife, Mary, at the time. I said, like Henny Youngman, take my wife, you know, and love is blind, and he did. Uh, but here's a guy who, like you, grew up listening to talk radio and sports talk radio, called in, sometimes was a substitute guest, hosted his own program, loves talk radio. And see, that's what I look for in a partner. I don't like these TV guys and gals who come in here, never listen to talk radio, think they know it all, don't realize it's not a teleprompter. You're not reading lines that are fed to you by a producer in a production uh, camp, but that this is a lot of it is improv. And you knew it. You felt it. You were good at talk radio, and you had been a listener. You understood it, just like Governor David Patterson. So it was a pleasure to work with you. I got to tell you, there are people I've worked with. Uh, obstinate, uh, pretentious, you don't tell me, you know, I was a big TV star and starlet. It's like, lady, guy, it has nothing to do. It's a total different medium. Some people are able to make the transition and do both. Like Sean Hannity, he's done both extraordinarily well. But he grew up listening to talk radio. That was his passion. And that's where your passion is. Well, there's also, there is also a common lineage with politicians and talk radio, you know, Buddy Cianci up in Providence, because the type of intimacy that you get on radio, very different from television. You really are engaging someone like you would be engaging a voter on the campaign trail, which is why you were so successful this year when you ran for mayor. And so I do think there are, there are common things. But the thing about radio that, that, and I mentioned this earlier today, people think that politicians would be de facto good on radio when, in fact, politicians often do their 30-second, their 15-second sound bites, engaging in an actual conversation, which is what you're doing on radio, particularly when you have a partnership, that does not necessarily happen in politics. You people are used to speechifying. You get recognized on the floor of Congress for one minute, usually. Um, so that's another way that, like, I, you know, I, I represented big parts of, of this city, and I, the times that I was my most happy was not when I was getting on a plane going to Washington, but was on the plane in Washington coming home. And and that's why I love the campaigns for running for mayor. I loved running for mayor. I love running for Congress. 
And radio is a little bit like that. You, you know, I was your constituent. You didn't know that. I was living at Forest Hills at the time. Nobody knew that because when I walked around Forest Hills, I didn't have the red beret on and the red sateen jacket. Only my mother could identify me outside of my red beret and my red sateen jacket. So I'm walking around on Austin Street. I'm walking through Forest Hills. I'm out in the Irish Riviera, the Rockaways. I'm running into you. You're at the express uh, checkout line at a supermarket. You're shaking hands. You're engaging voters. I said, man, this guy's keeping it real. This guy could be mayor because you had a touch for the common person. Very much, even though your politics was left, you were a populist. You were a man of the, the men and women. You would engage them. You would deal with your critics right out there in the streets. You didn't duck. You didn't juke. You didn't jive. You didn't have a large entourage. I met you many times on the subway. You had no idea. I was in your car. You're standing there with your New York Metcalf. You're reading your New York Times with the proper way to fold it, you know, up the folder. And I'm saying, man, he doesn't even know it's me. And I'm eyeballing you. And you are a real subway rider. So when I had the opportunity to work with you the first time, I said, hell yeah, this guy is a real New Yorker. We disagree on some issues. But I know he knows the issues. And that's uh, number one. And quite frankly, if you hadn't had those personal setbacks, There's no doubt you would have been mayor of the city of New York. In fact, what struck me, and, you know, our family at WABC, we went to the Inner Circle, uh, which is the annual uh, feast that the reporters put on where they lampoon all the uh, electeds, uh, and then the mayor gets a chance to lampoon them back, which happened this year with Eric Adams. It had been on the shelf for uh, two and a half years because of the pandemic and lockdown. And people were making the rounds, and you were there. You were sitting at our table. And I noticed that Bill de Blasio came up. And he wouldn't shake your hand. And I said to myself, the chutzpah, the hubris, not to shake your hand. And I know why. Because he knows people say to him on a regular basis, you know, if Anthony Weiner had not fallen so far and hard, you wouldn't have been the mayor of the city of New York. He objects to that to the state, even though he's running in the 10th Congressional District for Congress to take a wrecking ball to our city in Washington. But I truly believe if you were to jump into that 10th CD, which used to be your turf, your backer, you would beat him. You would beat him. Did you see the recent poll? Yeah. I mean, I, I tell you, you know, we hear a lot about polls, and, and this is a new district. Bill de Blasio is running at south of 14th Street in Manhattan, then takes in Brownstone, Brooklyn, Bill de Blasio's district in, in, in Windsor Terrace and in uh, Park Slope, and then a little bit of Borough Park down into Ditmas Park and Flatbush. And they just had a poll out that, showed that Bill de Blasio, I think, had 7%, and that's not bad in a new district. The only problem is he's known by 100% of the people in that district, yes. not like this Mondaire Jones or other people who have to get better known. And and this is this is an article of faith in politics is if people don't know you, making them like you is doable. You go out, you campaign, you knock on the doors, you send them flyers, you run TV commercials. Making someone who doesn't like you to like you is virtually impossible. It's just, and it's common sense. It's it, what happens in life. If you meet a person for the first time, you're open-minded to them. But once they have for eight years been their mayor, he's known very well. So he is dead man walking politically in, in that district. Well, I'll give you an example. I know that if you were running in that race, and it's going to be a high, hotly contested race, Mondeer Jones is in because he got basically legislated out of his district. There's no way he, he, he can win that. Uh, and if that name isn't back. familiar to New Yorkers, there's a good reason. He doesn't represent New York City. He represents upstate New York. Um, and, and there's the only requirement, a lot of people don't realize this, the only requirement for running for Congress is that you be 30, 25 years old and live in the state. So you can run anywhere in the state. But go ahead. Let me tell you something. This is the difference. 
Mondia Jones would not know what's going on in the district. Uh, his base is uh, Greenwich Village because he's openly gay. We're going to talk about that momentarily, gay pride parade, and their refusal to have uniformed police officers who are gay and lesbian and transgender march in the parade. But uh, that's all he knows, Greenwich Village. So he's got a learning curve. We know Bill de Blasio, he's a late starter. I mean, <laughs> by noon, he's lucky if he's gotten his mojo. You would have been out there this morning on 7th Avenue. And you would have been holding a press conference about the coffee chaos as Starbucks app was down, leaving all those hipsters and millennials and those progressives without their fix. And you would have been screaming at Starbucks, we need our Starbucks fix. And you would have gotten all kinds of media attention because that's what you were so good at. You had learned from your mentor. Uh, Chuck Schumer was very good at that. But you actually took it to a different level, a completely well, different level. I don't level. know. I mean, Chuck is Chuck. Chuck Schumer, Mark Greeno, these are the these are the uh, the 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 icons of the Sunday press conference. But I think you're right in that I don't think Bill DeBlasio has any idea. You know, he, he, he I think it's important to remember that I went back and looked at the polling from when he left office. His base was actually African American voters, not progressive white That's like right. they have in this district. Um, he is in for a rude awakening. Uh, I, I, I think that he is not going to win that race. Now, Mondaire Jones, he's come, he's an unknown figure. I don't know him very well. Progressive, gay, black guy. That's not a bad, that's not a bad first blush bio, but I think, uh, uh, uh Carolina Rivera, who's a city councilwoman who represents the area that I live in on Lower East Side, she is running. I've heard even Liz Holtzman's name thrown around, yes. who used to be well, a member of Congress. Past, right? Used to be a member of Congress. So I think it's going to be someone, and also in polling this week, Apparently, Maloney is leading Nadler by some, but they're both only in the high 20s. They're not. I mean, there's room for for, for other candidates to come in. Well, I think I think voters of both of both political parties are very unhappy with the way things are going. Let me tell you, we've had an opportunity when I say we, Michael Mbadichich, Rudy Giuliani, who, by the way, is 78 years old today, celebrating his I birthday. But as you know, we've been working tirelessly for his son, Andrew, to become the Republican nominee to run against Kathy Hochul, because we assume she's going to win the Democratic primary. And it's a hotly contested race. You have Congressman Zeldin. He's got all the state support of the uh, party bosses. He's got all the money. You got uh, Harry Wilson, $6 million he threw in. He did well running for controller 10 years ago against Annapoli. Uh, Bob Astorino, Rob Astorino did very well against Cuomo running against him. So you got a solid slate. And if you notice, Andrew Giuliani ahead in the Zogby poll uh, by about a solid five points. I and Rudy, we were crunching numbers, right? Because we know that there are 10 counties. You've got to win in the state for Republicans or you're going to be on the outside looking at. And then we discussed uh, that that race, that de Blasio race, that new 10th CD. And I and Rudy, we've crunched numbers for years. I was out there helping him get elected in 88, 92. I learned from the best there. David Garth, Ed Koch, who was supporting uh, Rudy at the time, learned all the intricacies of block by block, community by community, and getting the vote out. And he actually said, you know, I know that district pretty well has changed. But Anthony Weiner, if he would have jumped in there, he got a very good chance of winning that race against de Blasio because people hate de Blasio. I mean, it doesn't matter. You could be on the left. You can be on the right. You could be independent. You could be apolitical, not know anything about politics when you see the big guy walking yeah. down the street. It's like he gets flipped the bird. The universal symbol towards uh, de Blasio is people give him the bird. Yeah, he's not popular. He's not going to get elected to Congress. 
Now, when I, mean, we, I, I don't see it. When we come back, we have to discuss what's transpiring again in the annual Gay Pride Parade. Uh, the Heritage Group, uh, which uh, runs the parade, has said we don't want uniformed police officers in the line of march. Something that they had fought for for years and years. Finally got it. Now, for the second time, they're being told no. And our mayor is like meze meze poco poco. He's outraged at that. But then again, at this point, he's going to march and not opt out in support of the police. So much to discuss. It's left versus right. Anthony Weiner had an outstanding start off today. He's solo. He's independent and autonomous from two to three. And I'm joined together with him at the hip as we take you to the four o'clock hour. And then what is it? The best of Frank Morano? I didn't know there was a best. I mean, I listened to him the first time. Do I have to listen to him the second time from four to five? Left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. It's a 77 WABC debate. Heavyweight slugfest on New York's news and talk station 77 WABC. Here we go in full circles again. June is Gay Pride Month all over the country, all over the world. There's all kinds of gatherings, celebrations, marches, parades, uh, and it all started at Stonewall, the riots, many, many years ago in the heart of Greenwich Village. In fact, the annual Gay Pride Parade towards the end walks down Christopher Street past Stonewall, uh, in honor of those who stood up to the police, stood up to the mob that used to run those uh, uh, those uh, gin mills and shake down and extort uh, gays and lesbians. So now uh, we have this group that is running the parade that has decided for the second year that police officers cannot march in the parade in their NYPD uh, uniform, something that they fought for a long, long time to do, uh, earn the right, and then eventually was celebrated by the crowds. Last year they were told no. Uh, that was enforced. Uh, and Bill de Blasio, who was mayor then, said, well, I'm not going to march. That's ridiculous. Although I think, uh, Anthony, with two reasons. Uh, because he did take a stand, which was the right stand not to march. But he didn't want to get booed again because every parade in the last <laughs> year that he marched in, <laughs> he would get booed, especially by some of his former supporters. San Francisco has that same issue, a much bigger gay pride parade. Their gay community has a much greater influence on the, the body politic there. Their mayor has taken a stand and said, no, I'm not marching in that parade. You're not letting our police officers march in uniform, something that they fought so hard for for so many years. And she talked about the Castro. Uh, she talked about Polk Street, where they used to uh, uh, physically attack gays and lesbian. So she's taking a stand. Our mayor has criticized Heritage, which uh, uh, hosts the parade, but has not said he will not march. And he, you see, this is the problem of Eric Adams. He tries to satisfy everybody, and in the end, you don't satisfy anybody. He just spent his political capital this past week talking to Fortune 500 CEOs. We've got to have a campaign to support the police. Billboards, PSAs, advertisements. You've got to support my police. Here's a clear, easy one. Show support for your gay, lesbian, transgender police. 
by not marching like even Bill de Blasio did. And he's vacillating. He can't say, no, I'm not going to march. Well, he hasn't said one way or the other, and I, I don't know what he's going to do either. But we can step back for a moment. I think banning gay, lesbian, transgender police officers from proudly being in their uniforms when they march is is mind-numbingly silly to me. I get the idea that people have complaints and concerns about the way the police might have traditionally dealt with the gay community, particularly in Greenwich Village historically. But what do you say when there has been so much progress made in this country, so much progress made in the NYPD, so much progress made, period, if you are stuck in a place that you're basically holding today's officers accountable for abuses that took place a generation ago? The whole idea of the of this parade is progress, progress. And that's what gay NYPD officers in uniform means, means that they can celebrate both things, celebrate that they serve the community by being police officers and celebrate being able to do so true to their sexual identity. So I think that the ban is preposterous. And by the way, love that parade down Christopher Street. If you are a politician named Wiener wearing a boa during that parade, you are loved and adored. I loved every minute of it. But I have to say and I know some of the organizers of this parade, it's a mistake. Now, I believe that if you're mayor, one of the ways that you support, if there, if if a parade is saying we're going to exclude some of your employees, and he, what is the one uh, uh, pronoun that Adams uses more than any other? My. My city, my cops, my my this, my that. And I kind of like it. I know it drives you a little bonkers. A lot of people in this pro, uh, on, on this network don't like it. I like it. It's the idea that these guys are all my employees. These women are these are my employees. I protect them. Well, now you should stand with them. You should have a press conference with as many of them that you can fit onto a stage right before the beginning of this parade. You say, I celebrate you. Here's your proclamation. I honor you guys. And I think that the Blasio did the right thing when he didn't march and he shouldn't. And I, I think that Adam shouldn't march. But I think what he seems to do, Eric, is I think he kind of floats these. He did it with his tax returns, too. He floats these little ideas, doesn't give an actual answer, and then a couple of days later comes around to doing the right thing, which is better than coming around to doing the wrong thing. So let's wait and see how this works Well, I mean, well, let's face it. San Francisco, the mayor there, who is a left-winger, a hardcore progressive, takes a right stand in defense of her gay and lesbian and transgender police officers. She says, no, I'm not marching, period. No debate, no maybe, possibly, could be, no vacillation. Eric Adams is vacillation, just as you pointed out. Now, what does Bill de Blasio do now that he's a congressional candidate and not the mayor? Last year, he did the right thing and refused to march because the police department was snubbed. Uh, And uh, most importantly, as I believe, he also had a little bit of relief not getting booed in a parade in his last year in office. But the point is he took a moral stand. Now he's running in the 10th congressional district. His challenger, as we discussed, Mondaire Jones, has come down from upstate, who is openly gay, and has said, my epicenter, my support base is Greenwich Village, which it may well be, even though he might be called a carpetbagger because he's not from the district. What would your advice to uh, (laughs) candidate Bill de Blasio be on this one? Because if he marches in the parade, then wait a second, how come last year you didn't march in the parade? It's the same issue again. Well, you're going to march in the 7th Avenue Gay Pride Parade. You'll do that. I, I think he he has to be consistent. What I think Mondera Jones, look, I think that whole primary is going to be a game of leapfrog to see who can get to the left of everyone else 
on these various issues. I think someone that shows a modicum of support for the police department, I think, would benefit from it. You know, a lot of people don't realize or a lot of people assume, I mean, progressives don't like crime either. (laughs) Progressives are not happy that crime is going up either. And I think that smart voices in that race will talk about their attempts to bring down crime. But I, I, I think that probably all of them will wind up not marching. I think at the end of the day, um, I, because I think that's probably the right thing to do. All right. Now, when you say all of them, OK, we mean uh, Eric Adams, right? Kathy Hochul. Well, wait, I was thinking I was thinking in the primary for the 10th. Well, no, I imagine there will be someone that's that support this because it's viewed as the progressive position. You see, I'm so turned around by this issue because I didn't think it totally isn't. I think the real progressive thing to do with progress in terms of progressive in terms of progress is to celebrate police officers of course being there. I, I don't think but I think there may be some who interpret the liberal position, the anti cop position, the woke position as being to march in the parade. And so I think there'll probably be a couple of candidates that do that. But um I, I think that Adams won't at the end of the day. I think that de Blasio now can't. And I think that that Mondaire I don't know what Mondaire Jones or the other candidates. But what about uh, Governor Kathy Hochul? I think she that's a good I don't know. I don't have a good enough sense of what her actual politics are on stuff. Oh, Tish James. She's the attorney general, the top law enforcement official in all of New York State, uh, has to work with the police on a regular I basis. I think Tish James will not march. Wow. Because she doesn't have to worry about a primary, per se. Save this audio tape, please. Save this audio tape. Maybe I'm, I'm clearly rusty at this stuff. No, I, it's, I mean, it's going to be determined I, quickly. I, I, I probably, if, if I were confronted with this, I think I, as much as I love that parade, I think I would not march. Out. Well, last year, for the first time, <laughs> I did not march with the Guardian Angels in solidarity with the gay and lesbian and transgender NYPD cops. Uh, that was ridiculous. Uh, obviously, if this stays in effect, I won't march this year. Uh, more importantly, it's funny because uh, many of these people we talk about. And there's another one. Let me throw in a, a monkey wrench on this. The person who was beloved by the gay and lesbian community was Andrew Cuomo. He's the first in the country to get passed through the legislature. And a lot of Republicans ended up going down in defeat because they were convinced by Cuomo to come over to the side to legalize gay and lesbian marriage in New York State. It was the first. First state to have this, not California, not Massachusetts, not any other liberal progressive state. There were uh, three Republican state senators who made the right decision and agreed to do that. Boom. They were swept out of office. Could you imagine former Governor Cuomo being invited to march in gay pride and the kind of reception he would get, even though obviously – uh, he's got Me Too all over him. He's got the uh, dead uh, senior citizens and the long-term health care. What kind of reception do you think he would get by that? Uh, that's an excellent question. Has he been invited? Uh, you know Cuomo. I don't, he I loves don't, to throw a monkey wrench. Yeah, I, that, that would be a tough one. Now, the things about parades that make them both good and somewhat perilous is that, you know, there's no controlling the reaction when you're in a parade. I mean, sometimes we've talked about this before. Politicians hide among other politicians. But the thing about parades and why you were good at them and I was good at them is you take a little – and Mayor Mayor Giuliani had a dust-up at the Israeli Day Parade. There's no buffer there. I think he'd get an, I think he'd get an earful. Um, that, that's a very interesting question. If you're Andrew Cuomo, do you, do, do you show up at the Gay Pride Parade? I think now he certainly doesn't, but, but well, it's a that, great question. He always likes yeah, to yeah. toy. 
He does Whatever. like that. We That's still don't know point. if he's running as an independent, although nobody has reported that signatures are being collected on his behalf. But just to tweak everybody, and they do love uh, Andrew Cuomo, it's because of him that gay marriage came about in New York State. That would not have passed if he did not bend the uh, elbows and stuff them into right, politicians' Right, but he politics. is no darling. He hasn't been the darling of the left for a while. Remember, that's a while ago now, and it, it would be interesting to see what kind of a reaction. I would love it. That he, I know you I would. would. I know you would. <laughs> <laughs> I would love it. Uh, up next, we have to discuss the issue that you were talking about a great deal in your first hour. Uh, what happened in Texas two weeks before that? Obviously, what happened in Buffalo? What's happening all over the country? The lines uh, are once again in the uh, the Maginot lines. There, Republicans on one side for the most part, Democrats on the other side for the most part, and we're at it all over again. It's something that you were birthed into in politics, gun control, Anthony Weiner. So we'll deal with that and so much more on this. The Left with Anthony Weiner, yours truly, Curtis Lee, on the right exclusively on WABC. If you miss any part of both shows, Anthony Weiner's new solo show, 2 to 3, or this, uh, the teamed-up show, just go to WABCradio.com and get it on podcast and spread the word because it's not like any radio you hear anywhere in America or the world nowadays. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. Oh, this is definitely Anthony Weiner. <laughs> There's no doubt. There's no Hey, by the way, Chris, what is going on with the Frank Morano curtis Sliwa rivalry here? Out of the blue, completely unexpected, I got a call to be on Frank's show Tuesday morning. He wants me to come into the studio about 1 a.m. just to schmooze. I mean, is this because he senses that the curtis Sliwa operation is starting to gain a little bit of steam and... Maybe that you were starting to nip at his heels a little bit. Is oh, yeah. it true? Oh, yeah. Sleepy time. I mean, he he might be – you think he might plug me for some of the secrets about Curtis? Is he trying to kind of – is this part of his counteroffensive against Curtis Lee was offensive? Oh, there's no doubt. For instance, uh, he is the ratings leader here at WABC. He gets about 20 radio listeners for every 100 during his hours, 1 to 5, Monday through Fridays. I get 17, uh, 12 to 6, which I resume tonight, and obviously Saturday morning, Sunday. So, But I'm moving up. I'm cresting up, and he's leveled off. And now I'm also doing these other programs uh, with you, the one hour, tomorrow, 3 to 5, then 9 to 12. And then surprise, surprise, I'm going to wrap around uh, Dominic Carter, and Frank Morano is going to have the surprise of his life Monday morning. Oh, he is going to have the surprise. So the more hours I do... And I've been doing also, last week I did lunch hour with Sliwa uh, here at WABC, 12.15 to 1, right after Bill O'Reilly, and I'll be doing it again this week. So all that accrues, all that time. And so I believe by July 4th I will be the ratings leader here at WABC. Now, there is a technical problem that apparently it's very difficult to measure listeners who are sound asleep while you are on the radio, which accounts for the other three listeners per hundred that you are trailing, Frank. Now, 
Maybe. And this is just, I'm a rookie at this. I'm yes, brand yes. new. I've had a grand total of one show on in the last hour. I'm going to be on every Saturday from 2 to 3, but I've only had one so far. Could it be, just throwing it out there, that maybe if you did not necessarily put people to sleep during your shows, your ratings might be even higher? Absolutely. Uh, although, to their credit, when they do start snoring, when they start peeling uh, the paint off the wall, which has happened with me, they've actually done a promo here to try to stop my surge in the ratings. Their radio is still on there, terrestrial waiting. Obviously, we don't want them falling asleep behind the wheel of their car and their truck. Uh, gets a little woozy out there. But if they're listening on the app, Crystal Clear, they could be listening in Kabul or Baghdad. Crystal Clear, the stream, so many ways to listen to WABC. And if they fall asleep, it's my job to revive them, to just shock and rock their world so that even if they're sleeping on me for two hours, all of a sudden, uh, 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 Curtis, Curtis, Curtis. And that's happened. But well, I am I am a Curtis loyalist. I'm going to be on with Frank Tuesday at, at 1 a.m. I'm going to do I have to I can I just show up in my pajamas. I don't know how this overnight show works. It's theater of the mind. There you go. So I'm I'm going to be on with it. And it's a real it's an in all seriousness. It's a real honor for me. He, you guys both, like, crush it in the overnight. It's like um, I, basically every other radio station just basically puts on static because uh, everyone's listening. But, here. Anthony, with your new show now where you're solo, 2 to 3, and then when we're joined together from 3 to 4, I've crunched the numbers. He follows with the best of the other side of midnight. Our numbers beat him. Well, that's one-on-one. No getting away from that. In the afternoon, a Saturday afternoon where people have a lot of things to do, right, to occupy themselves, good weather out there, summertime, beaches are open, Memorial Day weekend, we beat them. That's true, except among the extraterrestrial audience. Oh, that's then true. Then he, he, he basically. The, gr- the great aliens, are, little great people. All, 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 of the, all of the motherships around the galaxy are listening to him, not to us. And well, that's now, probably now, for the better. He is talking about the same uh, subject we're talking about, and every other talk show host and hostess here at WABC. You can't escape it. Uh, the carnage that has occurred back-to-back, belly-to-belly, first uh, what will be a week tomorrow, Buffalo, 10 uh, African-Americans dead, three injured uh, by that 18-year-old gun toter who was prepared to uh, commit suicide. And two Buffalo police officers talked him out of it in the supermarket. He is now in custody. Then we saw the 18-year-old in that small town in Texas uh, who uh, jumped the fence, AR-15, handgun, 1,000 rounds of ammunition, fired 170 rounds, before eventually he was stopped. But, oh, my God, Texas tough. Uh, you know, we grew up Texas tough, the Alamo, right? Remember, you had uh, the very few there. There was, uh, uh, who is that, uh, David Bowie. Not David Bowie, uh, David Bowie. Uh, and then there was a whole host of those uh, Tennessee rifle guys who came in there and fought off Santa Ana. And the Mexican troops, although they all ended up dying for the few that escaped with Texas tough, there was Chuck Norris in Texas Ranger. I mean, he even wrestled a bit. Texas tough. They wear their cowboy hats. And it was Texas mush. Nineteen officers outside who spent more time pushing back family members and concerned residents who themselves wanted to go uh, in there and uh, try to save the children. And the cops ended up tasering some of them, arrested one father who went onto a bus. His, his daughter was rescued, but she was, she was so traumatized. He said, let me come. Nope. They arrested him. And it has really sullied 
uh, law enforcement all in Texas. Uh, Governor Abbott was uh, in an outrage. He went down there. They lied to me. They lied to me. Well, guess what? They were afraid. They were scared. Uh, They were cowards. There's no other way of discussing it. They did not do their job. And um, we should have learned from Columbine, 1999, Parkland. The same situation, failing to go inside as law enforcement. How many more of these tragedies before law enforcement gets their act together and says, if somebody does barricade themselves inside, or just think you're terrorists watching from some hovel in South Yemen, you say, they can't even stop teenagers, American crazy teenagers. Imagine an organized terrorist effort to seize a building or to seize a school and all the damage that they could do. Yeah, but on the other hand, what are we doing to protect police officers from AR-15s, for example, from guys that have body armor, for example, that are suicidal or homicidal at the same time? Um, on the Cats Roundtable yesterday, Bill Bratton was one of the guests, and he talked about what we do here in New York. Now, here in New York, we have 38,000 cops. They have a, a paradigm that within five minutes they can have a tactical team around a school in five, in, in five minutes anywhere it is in the five boroughs. That's New York City. You know, you know we train other cities around the country because we're so good at this stuff and because we have the resources at it. But, are, you know, among the people that we do harm to by not cracking down on these high-powered weapons, are the police officers first and foremost. You know, we have this idea that, okay, if we give more weapons to more people, everyone will be safer. Well, you ask most police officers, well, when they go into a domestic violence situation, those are the most volatile you can imagine because you have no idea what kind of weapons someone's going to have and how amped up that they're going to be. We don't help the police officers. Look, there's no doubt about it. The more information that comes out about the way they handle this this thing in Valde, Texas, the, the more it looks like it was handled in a disorganized and wrong way. But in many ways, that is almost beside the point. The fact that we have failed, that government has failed so badly in letting these things keep happening. Police officers, remember, in, in Buffalo, too, one of the first victims was an armed security guard. I mean, we are exposing law enforcement protective people and the idea that teachers are going to now be added to the list of people that we expect to protect our kids – that's why the obvious thing is, is to do everything you can to screen out, to keep apart these powerful guns and crazy people. And one way to do that is to have fewer crazy people. Sure. I, I agree with that. You want to have fewer crazy people. One way to do that is to have fewer dangerous guns. I 100% think we should do that. But an easy way to do it relative to the popular opinion, 90% of people agree with this, including 89% of gun owners, is just make the barrier between the two bigger by having a tougher background check in between. But, yes, when you look at the narrative that came out of that response, it was a horrible situation. And, by the way, this school had gotten security funding from Governor Abbott to harden it from attack. A door was propped open that was supposed to – that was the way that the that the assailant got in. It was propped open by a teacher. Yeah, these little things are – but if he came in there with a machete or a hacksaw, that's one thing. He comes in with an AR-15, and suddenly in 15 seconds he could have killed 100 people. But if you notice, uh, they're talking about background checks. I don't have a problem with that, more extensive background checks. But in the case of these two recent uh, maniacs who went in to slaughter as many people as they could in Buffalo and obviously in Texas, they had no criminal background check. They had nothing uh, in terms of their mental health problems that would have surfaced on any kind of paperwork. 
So, in fact, the gunman in uh, Buffalo went in to buy a Bushmaster at 18. He had just turned 18. Passed the muster, the background check. This guy, I'm assuming, passed the muster, the background check in Texas, although I don't trust anybody in Texas now because we've been fed a whole host of lies uh, since moment number one of the siege. Uh, you would have to raise the age to 21 at least. Well, I mean, another thing you could do is give them a little more time and let them do a more extensive check. I mean, one consistent thing about a lot of these crazies is they leave a long trail of information online. A lot of them are young, disaffected men, young boy, you know, whatever it is, some level of rejection. There's all kinds of studies. Now, there have been so many of these guys, they can study exactly who likely to become one of these guys. And so you can give them a little more time. And say, let's just put them into a background check, meaning look them up on Facebook, look them up on Instagram to see if they're saying anything crazy, which clearly both of these guys were. This latest guy was even bragging, I'm going to go shoot up a school. I know. The problem is a lot of those, though, were personal messages. They weren't up there for public scrutiny. Look, make no mistake. You're not going to solve the problem. You're not going to stop it from ever happening. But all too often, that becomes the rationale for doing nothing. Yes, I totally well, get it. I'll give an example. Here in New York City, we have school security officers. They don't carry weapons. They're under the supervision of the NYPD. It's the second anniversary of the killing of George Floyd in the streets of South Minneapolis by four Minneapolis police officers. Uh, ever since then, there was the cry to get police out of the schools, get them out of the schools, especially here in New York, led by Jumani Williams, who's running for governor, and those on the far left. Imagine if you had no security officers in the schools, no metal detectors, and now a security officer at the front door, somebody comes in there strapped with an AR-15 or a handgun. They're not going to be able to stop them unless a miracle takes place because they're not armed. Well, nobody is. Nobody is. I mean, they're, they're, they, we, we had an, an armed guard at, 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 the, at the Buffalo supermarket. We have, and I, I, I read some of these, these examples of, uh, um, or earlier in the show. I mean, by and large... That when you have these these uh, these these people going, you know, between 2000 and 2019, 345 of these active shooter things, according to the FBI, 119 ended them in suicide. 119 ended them in apprehension. 67 of them were captured, um, uh, were, were killed by police, and only four were citizens who intervened to stop the shooting from happening. Only four out of 345. And it just doesn't work out that way. And even in places like Texas that keep saying, you know, Texas has law now to, to arm uh, arm uh, teachers that there was since 2018. They've had a law that permitted teachers to be armed and trained if they so wanted. I don't think that's the answer. And particularly in, in New York, I mean, imagine a scenario where you had uh, teachers strapped in every uh, in in classrooms. Well, all throughout. I'll give you an example. The juxtaposition is what I experienced in Israel on three different trips. Everybody's armed. Almost everybody's armed. Men, women, uh, they carry. Uh, it's not concealed. You can see it right out there. You're sitting at a restaurant. People are strapped. They're walking around with rifles, uh, long guns. Uh, they view that at any moment uh, an act of uh, terrorism could be committed against them, and they they can't just depend on the Israeli Defense Force or their right. police. They have to depend on the citizens. We're going to have a situation here in New York. There's no doubt the United States Supreme Court is going to rule in favor that if you were able to qualify for a premise permit, that means to have a handgun in your place of business or your home, you should also have the right to have a carry permit, which is very limited in New York City. The mayor, Eric Adams, says uh, had kittens about that. He said, oh, no, that's just going to make things worse. Others would argue, what are you talking about? 
particularly if you're living in a high-crime area where guns, uh, the, the streets are awash with guns, why would you deny a law-abiding man and woman the opportunity of having a carry permit? Well, I mean, how I, do look, you defend yourself? Look, we have a lot of data to work with now. We have all kinds of countries that have had these types of shootings, have changed the law to make it harder to get guns in different ways, and have dealt with the problem that's been reduced. Our country has not done that. And yet we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of state laws that have been passed, usually in blue states there, uh, red flag laws, there are laws around background checks, usually in red states, they're about giving people more access to guns to defend themselves. We know that it ain't working. We know that we need to have a federal approach to this. I think that the thing that we should start with is the thing that there's the broadest approval on. I think you can make an argument that more guns being present on people's hips in subways and everything else is just going to lead more people to use them, and that's not good. But I think that Eric Adams and, and, the, and the, the governor and others in New York who say, what's the point of having local laws, state laws, when people can get guns so easily elsewhere and transport them into New York City is reasonable. I believe this is a, this is a subject of national but how, security. But how do we know we can believe somebody like Hochul or Gillibrand, who used to be Annie Oakley, who had an A rating from the NRA when they were congresswomen? Oh, in fact, Hochul got the NRA rating over the Republican Collins in Western New York because she was considered more pro-gun than even him, the Republican. And then all of a sudden... They now represent the whole state. They're into gun control. Give up my guns. Sort of, they're sanctimonious hypocrites. Well, hold on a second. What are what people like me and maybe you hope happens in the future? What we hope happens is four or five Republicans who have said, "I refuse to support any background check improvements," despite the fact that ninety percent of Americans support it because I'm afraid of the NRA. But since four and five of us are doing it at the same time, they can't take us yeah, all No, out. I agree. We want people to change their position. We want them to go I from agree. being the an The problem a- is you got 350 million guns out there, and they're not biodegradable. It's like a plastic bag. They can live uh, for a century, and they can be fired throughout the century. What do you do about all those guns? Yeah, but I, here's what we've also learned about these, these shut-ins, these 18-year-olds that are having bad luck in high school, that are isolating – they don't have the kind of social network to go out and find a, a, a gun from a buddy. They're going out and basically ordering them online. They're responding to an ad, having it sent to them, that type of a thing. I, I, I don't we – are we are going to have too many guns in, in the United States for some time to come. Our aspiration should be to keep them out of the hands of crazy people, and I don't think any member of the NRA – any owner of a gun who's lawful, who has lawful intent, should object to that, and I don't think they, most of them do. Up next, we've got to discuss a Memorial Day weekend, its primary function, but also how many people will be fleeing to nearby beaches and how there's a survey that says the very best beaches in the tri-state area are not in Long Island, South Shore, Hamptons. It's not Coney Island, Brighton Beach, Manhattan Beach, where we grew up, uh, Anthony or Orchard Beach. It's actually the Jersey Shore. From Point Pleasant down to Wildwood, they're rated the best beaches for the blue-collar worker class. They're going to need it because meat is up, chicken is up, staples are up, gasoline is up. By the time they get to the beach to pay for their beach pass, they may have to get a reverse mortgage. Stay tuned to all of that. Left versus right. Anthony Weiner, yours truly, Curtis Lee, exclusively on WABC.
Talk Radio 77 WABC. It's the left versus the right in the right corner. It's heavyweight king Curtis Lewa in the left corner. It's Anthony Weiner. Hi, Anthony. Here we are, another Memorial Day weekend, and I can't tell you how many people have already come up to me and say, Hey, Curtis, have a happy Memorial Day. Uh, it's like uh, you schmendrick, you putz, you, uh, you gabon. There's nothing happy about Memorial Day. It's to honor the war dead. I don't think enough people were taught that in school and civics and history, but I think they need to be re-educated to that fact that this is not like uh, coming up the 4th of July, you know, our nation's birthday, it's celebratory. This is solemn. Yeah, well, it hasn't been a holiday for for very long, only since the early 70s. I I think, you know, the, what I would say is have a meaningful one, like one. And what I suggested earlier in the afternoon was that, generally speaking, maybe this is too much of a generality, veterans don't like talking about their experiences on the battlefield. But if you ask them to talk about one of their buddies, one of their comrades that they that they lost on the, on the on the battlefield, they are willing to say, yeah, I want to tell you a story about that. And we need we need to have those conversations because a lot of the oral historians of the Great Wars are now passing rapidly. Um, and there are also a lot of contemporary neighbors of ours that we've lost at war, you know, during the, the war on terror uh, in Afghanistan and Iraq and other places. So it is uh, it is and should be a meaningful holiday for people. And I don't you know, people should commemorate it the way that they see fit. Uh, but I would agree. I don't think the sentiment is that we should be happy. It is something that we should recognize. You know, we have conversations on shows like this and on 77 WABC Talk Radio about the issues of the day because we have that luxury to do it. We don't have to worry that tomorrow we might not have a country or the next day. Sometimes we use that language, and you and I both try to turn down the volume on it. Um, and, but, you know, God willing, Hunter or, or Jordan, you know, they're not going to have to suit up and go into battle unless they choose to enroll in the military. And I encourage them to do so if they want to. But they don't have to. And Memorial Day is really about remembering that, that we have a country that stands free, that gives us the opportunity to have these conversations because ultimately of the people that served, yes, and we're going to have plenty of chances on 9-11, on the 4th of July, on Veterans Day to commemorate them. But today is the day that we think about those that made the ultimate sacrifice. Exactly. And uh, to your credit, in uh, all the Memorial Day parades I saw you in, you didn't bum rush to the front uh, and go ahead of the veterans themselves. You always uh, very respectful in the background. Uh, tomorrow is the renewal of the Forest Hills Parade on Metropolitan. I'll be there, and then I have to rush back here and be on the radio. I'll stop in Maspeth on the way back. It's College Point, and the following day locally, you have the Staten Island Parade uh, down Forest Avenue. That's huge. And then uh, what used to be the largest, uh, Little Neck Douglaston at 2 o'clock. A lot of WABC listeners there. You used to attend most of them, but always you weren't up front there with all the other politicos who couldn't wait to, you know, just finish the parade and go. But here's another thing we should point out. You know, there's all of this, and I don't like to use this expression much, but all of this kind of like woke sensibility about taking down memorials and taking down statues of those that we disapprove of. Well, let's spend a little energy this weekend in just about every community of New York. And one of the things that's beautiful about it is you have to look, but you can find them like, you know, the 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 Doughboy statue in Rockaway. There are memorials to the war, to the war uh, lost and to, and to those that were lost in our wars in communities all around our, our country. If you don't think that and all around our yeah, all around our country, but all around our city as well. There are VFW posts, there are Jewish veterans posts. There are all kinds of places that you can go and visit 
and see a name on in, 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 inscribed in a plaque, see a statue. This is a time to kind of maybe walk by with your kids and tell them what, what happened because we did have a lot of people in our community who made those sacrifices. Well, it's also a beach weekend, and uh, Anthony, according to uh, the stats, surveys, most of uh, the folks listening to us and those who choose not to listen to us prefer the Jersey Shore, Wildwood, uh, down to Point Pleasant, as opposed to uh, the Hamptons, Jones Beach, uh, uh, our favorites when we were growing up, Coney Island, Brighton Beach, Manhattan Beach, the Rockaways. Uh, could they be wrong? Could they be wrong? They say it's more of a blue-collar, working-class you, beach scenario. You're asking the wrong guy. I don't have a visa to visit New Jersey. I don't. Where do I? I have to go to get a passport or something. I, I, I do entirely the beaches of the, of the peninsula, the Rockaway Peninsula, and of Long Island, meaning Brooklyn, the Hamptons, those types of places. But I would not know a beach in New Jersey if one fell on my head. Well, guess what? You can listen to us if you are putting lotion on at the ocean with your terrestrial radio. On your car radio, on your app, on your stream. It should be WABC all the time. And it's Party Hardy also. Vinny Maduno coming up at 5. Cousin Brucey, 6 to 10. Tony Orlando without dawn. And then yours truly, Curtis Lee, would it take you to the break of dawn? Hemorrhoids can be a real pain in the butt, causing anal itching and burning and irritation. Get fast relief with all natural, doctor-developed and tested Anacool. Buy Anacool, A-N-A-C-O-O-L, on Amazon right now and save 15% with code WABC2024.